You're listening to the Beyond Teaching podcast, and this week we're talking to Hannah Beard, who works half of her working week as an osteopath and the other half as a lecturer in a college. So, yeah, you have quite a unique working situation, I would say. Uh, could you just explain, like, yeah, what your jobs entail? Yeah, so um, I'm an osteopath, a qualified registered osteopath, uh, and I work two days in a clinic in Long Eaton, near Nottingham. Um, for those of you that don't know what an osteopath is, it's similar to a physiotherapist or a chiropractor in that we're dealing with the body and generally injuries, normally lots of low back pain, but shoulders, necks, hips, knees, feet, people with arthritis, people who've had um, sporting injuries, people who just, you know, sitting at a desk for eight to 10 hours a day, you know, puts a lot of stress on their joints. So um, it's working with people's bodies. So I'll typically see someone for about 45 minutes or an hour and they'll tell me about their story and I'll assess them, I'll get them moving, see what my diagnosis is and then treat them and come up with a treatment plan, maybe see them for like four to six sessions. Um, so, but it's with, an oste- with osteopathy, it's very hands-on. So the, the key skill is palpation. And that's what attracted me to the job is that we do a lot of like feeling how things feel, how the joint move, how the tissues are, is what, you know, what's it like in that area, is it painful or not? And then the treatment is hands-on. So typically massage, moving the joint around, we call that articulation. And then some manipulation, which is the sort of fancy stuff you might hear about, the cracking of joints, which is just quite a a nice way of resetting uh, a stiff joint that's stopped moving. Um, And osteopaths work with principles. So um, we work with the whole body. So it's not just a sore knee or a low back pain. You know, what's going on in that person's life? How's their mental health? How are their stress levels? What's their working environment? You know, they're busy family, they're juggling a lot. Um, so we'd say we work with the whole person, not just the joints. And then treatment is based on the fact that the body can heal itself. You know, we've got homeostasis, self-healing mechanisms, and that if something's not structurally sound, then it won't be functionally sound. So and then we treat based on those things. So I'm doing that two and a half days a week, self-employed. And then for the other part of the week, so three days a week, I'm a lecturer in a college in Newcastle under Lyme, teaching on health and social care programme, which is primarily BTEC. Although those of you that teach BTEC will know it's been so there are some exams. So I teach an exam unit in anatomy and physiology, which is right up my street as a qualified osteopath and, and historically a science teacher specialising in biology. So it's kind of similar to teaching an A-level biology exam which I enjoy, and then a coursework module on nutrition, which again is kind of up my street as an osteopath because we would give advice and exercises and some of that, sometimes that is, you know, are you drinking enough? Are you eating enough fruit and veg? Are you getting a fibre? All that good stuff. So yeah, um, quite a diverse week, which I enjoy. That's nice, yeah. And those subjects sound like they, they are like your what you're interested in. So yeah. before you were an osteopath, uh, were you were you teaching and what what subject were you doing? Yeah, so <clears throat> I came out of uh, uni, my first degree, uh, into the Teach First uh, leadership program. So I studied history at university, but I had a science background because I thought I wanted to go into medicine. And I came to Teach First a bit late, and all history spots had gone. But I had two science A levels, so they let me teach science. So I did my two years at Teach First and qualified as a secondary school science teacher which was very hard. <laughs> I found that a very tough way to get into teaching. And to be honest, at the end of the two years, I thought, I can't do this as a career. Like the workload is just mad. 
Um, I can't see me having a family and managing a workload and teaching, which is a bit uh, sad, really, because you think of the holidays and how teaching probably is a great profession to have a family around. Um, but luckily, I didn't abandon teaching at that point. And it's through supply teaching and then getting maternity contracts and getting into decent schools, uh, I managed to fund a second degree in osteopathy, which I decided I would do at the end of the two years to teach first. So I kind of always had this sort of desire to go into some sort of medicine, but traditional medical routes didn't really seem to fit the bill. It wasn't until I went to see my sister getting treated uh, for a hip problem by an osteopath. I thought, wow, this is a really cool, cool job and looked into it and then thought, yeah, I could do that. And then start on a second degree. So osteopathy, was that mm -hmm. kind of, before that point, was that something that you were kind of familiar with or was it literally just that one thing that made you get into it? No, I think um, you go to what you know. So whenever I'd had problems myself, um, I'd, I'd always been, you know, back problems. I'd always gone to an osteopath and they'd always got me right. And it had always, and I'd seen my mum getting treatment, you know, she'd sort of bring you along as a child on some holidays and she was getting treatment. She was a nurse, so she had lots of back pain. Um, so I knew what an osteopath did. I knew what it felt like to be treated by an osteopath. And when I got to see it as a sort of observer, it seemed like a really, you know, cool thing to do. And, and the more I looked into it, the more I thought, yes, this is everything I wanted it to do. You know, it's, it's still working with people. It's still being a lifelong learner. It's still a profession, but you can be self-employed and you can make a difference. But it's quite a privileged position, really, to be part of someone's journey and trying to get better or, or overcome an injury. Yeah, it sounds like a really, like, nice job. And I think there are probably some similarities between it and teaching in terms of, like, why you would go into it. Um, talk me through, like, when you were coming towards the end of your teaching and you were thinking of going into osteopathy, mm -hmm. uh, how, how did you kind of um, manage that transition? Did you just end and then move into it? Or? Yeah, so I, I, can't, I had sort of halfway... So I did my... PGCE and it was my NQT year that I really started searching around for what am I going to do I can't stay at the school I'm at because it's just it's going to burn me out um I don't know if teaching is for me I didn't feel like I was a good teacher like I think I'll the thing about being a classroom teacher is if you don't have a good line manager or if you don't have good mentor you know you've quite you can be quite powerless in a school as a classroom teacher without the adequate support or good senior leadership so I when I came out of my NQT year, I felt like I wasn't a good teacher. It wasn't a good career for me to stay in. Um, so I was sort of searching around, doing some research, um, applied for um, the, it's a part, it was a five-year part-time degree. And I thought, well, it's what I want to do. But it's five years, but I get on with it. So I applied and then I kind of worked it out from there. So I, I moved back to my dad's house, worked so they could support me a bit take some pressure off paying bills um, and then because I, I thought I wouldn't teach again honestly when I'd left the two years I thought that's me I'm done but I was at my dad's house was in Cumbria there's not a great deal of jobs going <laughs> uh, so I ended up with a supply agency and then that put me in schools that were completely different to the school I'd been working and I'd been working in inner city Liverpool um, and then to work in sort of more rural Umbria. there's still challenges but there wasn't that level of need that same sort of like crying out need in the classroom of just the volume of 
uh, SEN, special educational needs, uh, English additional language, behavioral issues, like it was just a bit more dilute. And then I, then I realized I wasn't actually a bad teacher and the skills I picked up in working in such a tough environment meant that I was, I was quite a good supply teacher. I could drop into these schools into these classrooms and, and teach still, actually get some information across and then be asked and then not, not be interviewed, but be asked, do you want a, a contract here? And then having the power to say, well, yeah, I do, but I'm only doing part-time. Like I'm not doing five days a week because I'm studying and I'm retraining and all this stuff. So I think that I had two realizations quite early on before that, Christ before that Christmas that I was a good enough teacher that I could do it and do it well and that I had more power going in as a, as a ironically because supply teachers can be seen as quite powerless but I had the power to say to the people that wanted to hire me what hours I wanted to do what days if they wanted me then it would have to be on these terms and and that kind of it just grew from there that's yeah that's, that's yeah. It's so interesting oh I'm echoing a lot it's really interesting that um you enjoyed the supply more than the teaching like that. that's almost unheard of uh, and then you so you went to part-time is that at the college you were at now uh, no so I I did a lot of so I'm in Stoke-on-Trent now only on the board of Newcastle under line when I was um training to be an osteopath um so for the first three, three years before the before the practical hours picked up I was working in Cumbria as a as a supply but then a, a contracted teacher um, and gradually working up the schools so starting in the tough academies and getting into the, the better schools um, on a part-time contract or job sharing um, and then commuting down to Stoke to train and there was this sweet spot and that's kind of what led me to where I am now which is there was this sweet spot where I was teaching in in classrooms maybe three days a week and doing managing to see my prep around the edges um, and then doing some osteopathy and doing some study and finding that diversity made me such a better teacher because it, it wasn't my whole life. Like, I had, well, teaching wasn't everything to me. It was, I have to do this, this, get this workload done in this time, get these lessons done, and then switch to a different headspace and be a student or be a practicing osteopath and then come back to the classroom fresh. And it made me a much better teacher. And I was less ratty with the kids. And I was a bit more spontaneous because you can't plan everything to the nth degree when you've not got all the time in the world, you know. So I'm realising that actually when I sort of go with the flow a bit in the classroom and just let go of the PowerPoint prep, um, it goes a bit better. Yeah. I so when we got in contact to, to do the recording today, I just I did find that quite interesting, the idea of kind of just doing two jobs, meaningful jobs side by side. Mm -hmm. Like, why do more people not do that? It's kind of working part-time it seems maybe unfeasible for lots of teachers they, they think they can do it but how, how do you actually find balancing both is, is it ever challenging yeah I think it's challenging but I think um I think if you if you want something done you ask a busy person and I think if like I said before like if you compartmentalize you have to compartmentalize like you've got a certain amount of time to get your lessons prepped or get your marking done or you know respond to emails whatever so you do it, you do it to good enough standard. There's no room for perfectionism, which is quite freeing really. Um, and then you put on a different hat. And, and the thing, the good thing is that although the teaching work, you know, can be, goes up and down, you know, like when you're coming to Christmas exams or mocks, you've got a lot of marking, of course you've got a lot of marking to do. Osteopathy is very self-contained. Self I'm not running a business. I'm not doing all the admin. 
I turn up, I've researched my patients beforehand, but I turn up, I treat, I write my notes, I go home, that my day as an osteopath is contained. Um, whereas the teaching might spill out, I still want a weekend off. So I'm, I'm going to be quite strict about the hours that I work teaching. And yeah, and being fresh, you know, not doing something, having it trail on for hours and hours means you're actually a bit more productive. And it suits me. It suits my, my way of, of being like I've always been quite a busy person I've always done lots of like I, I love I personally love school like I love the, the study and the work and the sport and the outdoor pursuits and the socializing and I've, I've kind of wanted to carry that into my adult life that diversity that you know yes I'm busy and I've got lots to do but I can get it done um yeah so like, it's hard but it's, it's fun it's a fun balance for me at the moment did you feel a bit like a bit of a maverick when you decided to do this combination yeah. Yeah, so when I finished my two years, I was finally, after two years of hard slog, fully qualified teacher, and my mentor said, what are you going to do next? And I said, I'm going to be trained to be an osteopath, which is a word that you can't even say very easily. And she was like, why? I mean, and when I explained, I said, the workload, the pressure, I don't fit, you know, I don't feel like I was very good at the job. You know, I'd really struggle. I'd really, it'd been a real, like, struggle to get qualified in the two years in the school I was in um so she understood I managed to make myself understood but then when she's in the leavers assembly for like outgoing teachers at the end at the end of uh, summer she stood up and told everyone she, I was going into osteopathy she couldn't say the word <laughs> and everyone was like all oh, right okay you know yes I felt like I was jumping ship and it was a massive risk and um you know maybe people would think I was weird or it was stupid or what a waste of two years training and you know but it's worked out really well. That's nice. That's nice to have like a, a, a nice perspective on it now, but I, that, must have, that must have been a difficult kind of decision to make. So why, so you, you have your osteopathy now, you're, mm -hmm. you're, and you, you're kind of back into teaching or lecturing. Mm -hmm. why, why, why do that now? And what's your experience of teaching now? Um, I think post COVID, so, I was working in the NHS over as an osteopath, which is a competitive job to get into. So I was really proud that I was doing that, but it was over COVID. So it was very telephone based and you can't really be an osteopath over the phone. It's not, it's not a great way. <clears throat> I was getting a little bit disillusioned because patients weren't getting better. So I came back to the private sector, but I'd left the private sector to an employed NHS job because of the, the fluctuations in income you know there's, there's no pension tax is a bit hit and miss you know it's, it's not the same security of knowing what's coming in every month and being secure so I was quite happy to go back to the private sector but I knew that I, ne I needed a baseline income to come in and you know osteopathy can be quite a a lonely job in some respects like you're one person in a room with a patient <clears throat> for eight hours a day and if your team is busy as well. You maybe you don't get to speak to your team, whereas in teaching, you are in a team of people. It's creative. You're bouncing off students. You're getting relationship with learners. Like, not only am I trying to get an employed income to pick up a pension, to pick up a bit of sick pay, to pick up a bit of stability in terms of income, it's also sort of scratching an itch that doesn't necessarily get scratched in osteopathy. You know, the teamwork, the creativity, the, the diversity of interactions. And teaching from secondary school obviously it's quite emotionally hard working with teenagers that are just coming into like their own and sorting out peer groups and so I think to work with the older learners that are 
for the learners I work with, you know, they're not the most academic, but that suits me fine because that's what I'm used to teaching, uh, who I'm used to teaching. Uh, but they want to go into healthcare profession and that I can definitely meet them on equal ground, you know, as, as a practicing healthcare professional. And maybe they don't want to be an osteopath, they want to be paramedics or nurses or midwives or healthcare assistants. But I think there's there's plenty there that I can, you know, interest them and talk about patients with and, and say, yes, it's hard now in college and you've got exams and you've got coursework and it's pressure, pressure. But when you're in the job you, you love, uh, that pays you well and you, means you can have a life outside of work, you know, it will be worth it. So uh, That's nice. I feel like there must be something nice as well about um, kind of like the college knowing that these people are going into fields of interest to you and like that will be they'll they'll do a service one day to someone else Mm. so it kind of sounds like you've got a perfectly balanced life and lifestyle um i guess the thing with things that are perfectly balanced is it's only so long before you know it's hard to keep the balance so i guess my question is what's what's your what's your plan for your sort of progression or um, next steps kind of thing? Um, I, I think looking over my CV to apply for some teaching jobs again for the first time in a long time, I don't have any management or leadership on my CV because <clears throat> I've worked as a classroom teacher, which I've been, you know, I'm glad to do. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to stay in the classroom and, and, and work with the, with the learners. Um, and osteopathy, as I say, is quite independent. You just manage yourself if you're not a clinic owner, which I'm not. So I think to, to do some management or step up a little bit so that I'm diversifying my CV. Realistically, I'd, I would like to eventually, when I feel like I've got enough experience, teach in a university and teach osteopathy students. Um, so I'm sort of working my way up now. Obviously uni jobs require like masters and PhDs and things. Not always with the osteopathy lecturers, but um, I really I qualified in 2019, so I'm quite a young osteopath. So I don't feel like I've, I'm wizened enough to go back into the university classroom and teach it. But I kind of see myself going back into teaching at a university level <clears throat> is what I would like to do ultimately, um, and help the new generation of osteopaths. Nice. That's that's really that's a nice neat question. <laughs> Um, so random question, uh, which I was thinking earlier when you were talking about osteopathy, do your hands go for a lot of wear and tear? Mm, yeah, and that's probably another reason to keep things diverse. So if I, if I'm in the gym, which I need, I need to be to keep myself fit and healthy, I'm doing some weights then my wrists take it, take a bit of a hit. And then if I'm treating, um, my wrists will take a bit of a hit. So people, osteopaths tend to get a lot of arthritis in the hands and wrists and carpal tunnel and back pain and so yeah it is, it's a physical job especially if you end up treating people that are bigger than you um so like rugby players or bigger men like or very people that are very like muscly and have hard muscles to get through it is tiring physically as well as being switched on mentally um so yeah it's a probably another way of prolonging my my joints in my hands and wrists <laughs> is to not do it full time Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I imagine that's that's quite, you know, stressful on the joints. I think there are a whole host of um, issues that teachers are meant to suffer from later in life, which I won't go into. But you know, every every job has its kind of occupational yeah. hazards, I guess. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. So I guess looking back now, so you you obviously trained to teach through Teach First. Um, do you look? 
back at that and feel like it's enabled you to have the lifestyle you've had and the aspirations you have or how do you feel when you look back um so teach first was hard <clears throat> it was really hard it's the hardest thing i've ever done even you know the balance between teaching and retraining to be an osteopath and the osteopathic exams which were tough but th those two years were the hardest thing i've ever done and i'm very proud that i got through it and qualified and i'm proud of my teaching qualification and um yeah i I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't got through those two years and got qualified as a teacher. Like I wouldn't have been able to fund a second degree uh, in osteopathy. I wouldn't have been a, as confident a learner because really your learning doesn't come full circle till you try and teach something. And that just really solidified my ability to learn. So teaching helped me be a better learner at university, which helped my peers and reminded me that I do love the, the you know, the, the relationship and the, the ping and the, the, the spark you get teaching people. Um, so yeah, it's, it's certainly enabled me and, and it's something I can always come back to. So, you know, I had a, a teacher, I had about a four year break from teaching when I, on the lead up to qualifying, to qualifying to my full-time role in the NHS to come back to teaching when I feel like I need something to fall back on that's just a bit more secure and a bit more sociable. And, you know, that sort of scratches that creative itch that I, I don't always get in osteopathy. So it's it's been the making of me qualifying as a teacher. That's nice, nice answer. Um, and I guess, so then for the kind of pers prospective teachers out there or the early career teachers, mm. um, if you were to give any advice to your younger self, um, I guess, so that they'll benefit from that question, mm. what, what advice would you give to your younger self if they were listening to this now? I would, few, maybe two things. I would say there's no such thing as a perfect lesson and lesson observations are very stressful and unrealistic on the whole. So don't stress over being graded or having a disaster lesson observation because it is one moment in time with one class and it's not the be all and end all. And the other thing is, is that teaching is a lot easier if you can smile <laughs> and get along um, with the kids like so my behavior management really struggled I something I thought I would be good at but just seemed to just take a long time to get right and part of the training that I had was about not being a confrontationalist I didn't really understand what that was on about until I started treating, teaching you don't have to pick up everything like body language ignoring a look like if you're in a big a class of year eights that are just you know really difficult to manage your presence and your confidence can be just as good as constantly like verbally picking up bad behavior. So yeah, don't worry about your lesson observations, try and smile <laughs> and don't be too much of a confrontationalist in the classroom. Try, you know, try and go and stand behind the naughty kids and carry on teaching. Sometimes even just body positioning can make a big difference. Nice advice, nice advice for anyone, I think. Try and, try and smile more. Um, uh, if somebody was listening to this then and they wanted to get in touch with you, know a bit more about how to balance two careers or wanted to know about osteopathy, mm -hmm. anything like that, can they find you anywhere? Is there anywhere they can reach you? Uh, so I'm not big on social media, so it's better to give me an email. Um, so I've got my professional email, which is my initial hbosteopath at gmail.com, which I pick up every day. Um and then through there, if we need to have like a better conversation, I can, you know, speak on the phone or, or messenger or whatever. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way to get hold of me. 
Lovely. Um, well, thank you. Like, it's been really interesting talking to you. Just uh, the way that you've set up your lifestyle is, I think, it's really nice. Seems really harmonious and something that maybe people wouldn't have considered you could do with teaching. But mm. so it's a nice kind of nice case study. So thanks. Thanks for taking part. And thanks for talking to me. You are very welcome. It's been a pleasure.